0: Let us open our Bibles to Psalm 30. 30th Psalm. And it's a psalm of praise. And I want you to notice in verse 1 it says, uh, David says, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. We're going to find in uh, this psalm David praising God for many things. Thou hast lifted me up. And he says, not made my foes to rejoice over me. David praised the Lord for lifting him up from the sheep coat. Remember, he was a shepherd boy. And even to the throne. David became from the little David that uh, took his sling and slew and the giant. And before that, he had taken care of the sheep and had uh, protected them from the lion and the bear. And God delivered the great giant, Goliath, into his hand. And he lifted him up from the sheep coat and he placed him upon the throne. He was the second king of Israel. Saul was the first one, the pe- uh, king after uh, the people's choice, and David was the king after God's own choice. And so he was thanking God for all the things that had happened. He says, "I extol thee, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me." Remembered, David had many foes, many enemies. And his enemies would have destroyed him, and our enemies would have destroyed us, but for the grace of God, the Bible tells us that we are kept by the power of God, and we can thank God for uh, taking care of us and keeping us from the harm of the enemies that would do us harm. And if you don't think you have enemies as a Christian, you're just mighty fool. because if you walk and, and live for the Lord, there's going to be people that are not especially your dear friends. You're going to find a lot of them do not agree with you. And even disagreement is, is not uh, the extent of their uh, hostility sometimes because they just don't like you, period. And they, some of them can become your enemies. We don't uh, rejoice in having enemies, but we learn how to deal with them and leave them to God. And God has the one that, he says, thou hast not, hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. So he put it in God's hands. The next thing in verse 2 I want you to notice. He says, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. Thou hast healed me. Jesus is our great physician. And David praised the Lord for the healing of his soul. In Psalm 103, let me read a verse or two. Psalm 103, I believe it's verse 4. Verse 3 says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. In Psalm 103 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then it starts out in verse 3. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with love and kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. And on and on. It's a psalm of blessing, isn't it? Praise. So David praised the Lord for the healing of his soul. A lot of people are talking about bodily healing, and God heals our bodies as well. But you know, the real spiritual healing, the healing of our soul, this is what Jesus basically died for, is our soul, not our body. Our body is uh, renewed with grace and blessings and healings from time to time. And we thank, we thank the Lord for those times when he does lift us up from uh Physical maladies, and yet on the other hand, we are so thankful that He has healed our soul. Uh, as far as Israel was concerned, of old God spoke to them, in Isaiah one verse six says, from the uh, well, 3, verse five and six. It says, Why should you be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment and so we find in the Old Testament that uh, the wounds and bruises and sores were to be bound up, they were to be anointed with ointment, mollified to so- to soften, to reduce the rigidity, mollified with ointment to Uh, help the healing of those wounds. And that's what God prescribed for them. But he is the real divine physician, isn't he? And then verse 3. Hold your place in the psalm where we're studying, if you will. He says, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. David here prays the Lord for double deliverance. From the grave of death to life, and then from the pit of hell. So a double deliverance is seen in these two verses. In this verse, two things are seen in this this verse, the Bible tells us that we're quickened from death into life. Ephesians two verse one says, "And you have been quickened who were what dead in trespasses and sins. You have been quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins." That's Ephesians two verse one. And then we find that uh, we're not only quickened to life, but we're saved from the pit of destruction. In Ezekiel thirty one verse sixteen, <clears throat> let me read this one for you. Ezekiel 31, verse 16 says, I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. All the trees of Eden, the choice of the best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. So he's talking about uh, casting uh, Satan down into destruction or the evil powers. And uh, we are saved from that, as David put it. And he praised God that he was saved from such a... Uh, tragedy and such a final outcome. So in verse 3, it says, O Lord, Thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Now, verse 4, he says, Sing unto the Lord, O you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness, the saints of God. By the way, all that are children of God are saints of God, not some departed, uh, glorified beings in heaven. Now, we'll be saints in heaven, too, but we're saints on earth. Saints are children of God. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, unto the saints, to all that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, not only here, but in every place, they're called the saints of God. David encouraged others to praise the Lord for His holy nature. If you look in verse 4, sing unto the Lord, O you saints. So he's encouraging others, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. Certainly, we should be encouraged to Praise God for his holy nature. And then it says in verse uh, 5, For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. David praised God because of the short duration of his anger and the joy of the morning. The Lord is slow to anger, and he's quick to show mercy. And he says uh, in this fifth verse, His anger endureth but a moment. Look at that. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, But he says, but joy cometh in the morning. Uh, This is a very wonderful verse of Scripture. A lot of times you'll find people over in the hospital. You'll be on a bed of sickness or have a surgery or whatever, and the night seems awful long, but in the morning it seems that things look better. I don't know why it is, but I've always had that experience when I've been in the hospital and had surgery. I've had several surgeries, several sicknesses, and the Lord has uh, lifted me up (laughs) just before we came to church. I was real worn this after, uh, after the morning service, and I took a little bit of nap, and uh, I was up and had my tie and suit on and ready to go and had studied for uh, an hour or so. And my wife says, I never did see anyone bounce back like you do. <laughs> so I was ready to go. And uh, I thank the Lord that He gives us that strength and that grace and that, that help when we're weak. So it says, Joy cometh in the morning. Look at verse 6. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Look at this. And he says, look at the next verse. He says, Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. There are two things here. First, David praised the Lord for deliverance from carnal security. He realized that his security was carnal. Notice, and in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. We better not say it in our prosperity. Because we may be moved. Then <laughs> said, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Then he says, Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. It was by God's grace that he did stand. Thou didst hide thy face, and I, I was troubled. So if it were not for God's grace, we would be in trouble, wouldn't we? So we're all prone to feel secure at times in ourselves. And that's not a very good thing for us, is it? Because our stability completely depends upon the Lord. And all the Lord has to do is hide his face and we're troubled. trouble. When he does that, we are in trouble. But we're prone to feel secure at times in ourselves. And this is a great mistake. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, there was a church, the last church, the one that Jesus denounced for their uh, so so-called self-security. In verse 17, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says, Thou sayest, I am rich. In other words, I, I said in my prosperity, like David, that my mountain shall stand strong, that I shall stand strong, that I shall never be moved. And that's what the church of Laodicea felt like. They said, and Jesus said, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold fried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. We need the clothing of Christ's righteousness. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. He wants us to be clothed so we'll be fit for his presence. And anoint thine eyes with I eye salve that thou mayest see. He says, you think you can see, but you're blind. And anoint thine eyes with eye sand. This is typical of the uh, they had anointment. That was a, a roll of ointment that was used to anoint the eyes in those days, to clear them up. And uh, we find that the anointing we need in a spiritual way is the Holy Spirit's anointing of our eyes that we may have the scales removed and be able to see. Remember, old Paul was struck, uh, Saul of Tarsus was struck blind, and he had to have his eyes opened. He was physically blinded. And uh, the Bible tells us of people that are blinded because of unbelief. Remember the Bible uh, tells us that, uh, that the God of this world hath blinded, listen, hath blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And as long as men are wor- walking in unbelief, they're walking in blindness. A sad thing. See people walking around this earth and with blinded eyes. You say, "Oh, they can see. They know where they're going. They may know where they're going physically, but they don't, they don't they do not know where they're going spiritually because they're blinded by sin and by Satan. If a man cannot see that he's a sinner, if a man cannot see that Christ has provided the gospel of salvation and that faith in Him is the only way to be saved, and by His atoning blood, he's blinded. He doesn't know where he's going." Isn't that a sad situation? And I believe it's just as definite as that. There's no middle ground to that. People go around that if they think that they're going to be saved by their good works, they're blind. If they think they're going to be saved by, by uh, their own righteousness, they're blind. If they think that they're going to be saved just because they're people, human beings, and that they're all men are uh, children of God by nature, they're blinded. The Bible says we were by nature the children of wrath the Bible says, he that believeth not the wrath of God abideth on him. So they're blinded as to spiritual truth. And the devil likes to keep people in that kind of an atmosphere. As long as they don't know, they'll walk through this world and they'll never know. And the devil likes to work on people that he can keep them blinded to, to spiritual things. How many people do you talk to when you start talking about their need of salvation? And the only way they can be saved is through Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they think, well, you know, you people believe that down in church. And, you know, I've heard you quoted from the Bible, but after all, I've got a better idea. You know, I'm going to try to do right, and I'm going to try to be right. And I've got my own plan of salvation. And that's what it is, their own plan. It's not God's plan. Because man could not devise a plan that would save and God devised the most wonderful plan by sacrifice and the sacrifice of His only begotten Son and through His uh, bloodshed on the cross. And He says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no forgiveness. And so we cannot uh, go through this world and expect that, that we know how to, to get along without God's guidance in the matter. Look at the next, uh, uh, look at that verse again. It says, in verse 7, Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. So our stability depends upon the Lord. Notice that. By thy favor. If it were not for God's favor, uh, we could not stand strong. Everything about our life uh, and our being, and especially our salvation and eternity, depends upon God. It says, "Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled." If God just was, turns His face away, all He has to do is turn His face away. Look at Psalm one hundred four, verse twenty nine. Psalm one hundred four, in verse twenty nine. Notice what it says here. It says, "Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust." Look, if God hides His face, Thou hidest Thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to the dust, to their dust. In the book of Job, the Bible says if God would take away his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and return to the dust. All flesh, even even man, all the flesh of all life, and then all of the, the soul life that we have. We have a, a spirit life, too, as well as soul life, animal life. And all the animals would die, and all we would die. But it says God breathed into man uh, man's nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And he has a spirit. Animal has just animal life, soul life. But he says all flesh, if God would take away his breath, God breathed out and, and created and give us gave us life. If God would de- inhale. Do you know, this shows us how fragile we are, doesn't it? All God would have to do was to take his breath back and everything would die. Take his breath away and there would be no life whatsoever. We talk about everything being... Sustained by God. The Bible tells us that He uh, is the Maker of all things and by Him, speaking of Christ in Colossians chapter 1, and by Him all things, listen, consist, the word means they're held together, held in place. By Him all things are glued together or held in their place. The sun and the moon and the stars and all the planets, everything in this great universe and in this galaxy and galaxy after galaxy that we know not of and have no indication as to what is out there and yet we have the scientists and science and technology has reached out into outer space to about their limits we don't know how far they can go and i wouldn't predict how far they can go but i will say this this about it they'll never go so far as to fool the lord (laughs) to put him to, to shame he knows what it's all about and god made the earth for man to dwell upon. He said that. When we have to start living on the moon or on the planets, I believe we're getting out of what God intended for us. Some people say, well, preacher, that's pretty narrow-minded. You know they ought to be able to live up there and live in other places. Well, he said he made man to dwell upon the face of the earth. (laughs) He determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God determined that, that all men might seek after the Lord. You read that in the book of Acts. Paul's message, I believe, is on Mars Hill. He said, you put up an inscription to the unknown God. He says, whom you ignorantly worship, him declare unto you. He said, you worship a God that you've set up, the God that made all things, and made of one blood all nations of men to dwell upon the, all the face of the earth. I said I was going to teach both these psalms, but it doesn't look like I am, does it? Okay, we may get part of the other. One. I want you to notice in the 8th and ninth verse, we'll read those. It says, I cried unto the Lord, I cried to the Lord, to thee, O Lord, I'm sorry, I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? So he's talking about David praying to the Lord in time of trouble. He had, in the last part of verse 7, he says, thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. And he says, I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto thee. And unto the Lord I made supplication. In Psalm 46 and verse 1, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Who is the one that we're to turn to when there's trouble? We would be turning to God, aren't we? That's the one we should turn to. David could not continue to praise God if he was allowed to go into the pit. His body would return to the dust, but it could not praise God. It shows us that while we have life and health and strength, now's the time... To do our thanking and praising of the Lord for what he's done for us. We can't do it after we're gone. Now, when we die, we depart to be with Christ, which is far better as Christians. But on the other hand, our dead body in the grave has no voice of praise. That's what David is referring to. He means that down there, after this life is over, there's no opportunity. Now, we know that the Christian, when he dies, he goes to be with the Lord. And there will be a heavenly praise offered by all the redeemed. We find that in the book of Revelation. The prayer was to God's glory. Notice the last part of it. He says, unto th- I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I shall go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? He knew that God was the one that is to be praised. Shall it declare thy truth? In verse 10 it says, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. What's he saying here? David prayed for mercy and for help from the Lord. We have the same needs, for mercy and for help. In Psalm 54, verse 4, it says, Behold, God is mine helper. If you have God as your helper, you have the best helper you can have. Sometimes we turn to friends to help. We turn to family to help. But if God helps, He's the real helper. Sometimes family will let us down or friends will let us down. Or maybe we expect too much from others. There's a lot of questions about all this kind of help. Sometimes we'll find them good to us and help us a great deal. And I'll tell you one thing. Anything you ever give to the Lord or in His name will not go unrewarded. It will not go unrewarded. And I can tell that from the experience today. Right before I left church, what we had to give out a little. Randy and I did. And before I got through lunch, it was already a reward. In about a threefold way. And God has a way of blessing and helping. And it will happen to you. It happens to everybody. It says, He that giveth to the poor, lendeth to the Lord. And it says, If you lend to the Lord, you know that God's going to repay. God's not one that borrows without interest. God is a good uh, paymaster. and He'll make sure that you get your... Rewards, if you'll trust him and serve him. That's the real secret of it. And then I want you to notice in verse uh, 10. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. And then in verse uh, 11, it says this. Thou hast turned for me my mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning, into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth, that's the sackcloth of grief and, and uh, sorrow, and girded me with gladness. Look how he changed things around. David did not fail to thank God for answered prayer. He he was turned from mourning to dancing, or joy and rejoicing. And from sackcloth, the Old Testament, they were clothed in sackcloth. And and remember uh, old uh, Job sat in an ash heap, sackcloth and ashes, typical of sorrow and mourning. And he says, from sackcloth to garments of joy. In other words, girded me with gladness, that's garments of joy. The Lord is able to turn things around for us. Remember, Jesus spoke of a man not having a wedding garment in Matthew chapter 22, verse 11 and 12. We have to have the garments of God's provision. Last week, last Sunday morning, we preached on fig leaves or coats of skins. Some people are clothed with their fig leaves of, of self-righteousness instead of the coats of skins of God's righteousness. Remember, Adam and Eve, they were clothed with fig leaves. When they found that they were naked, they sewed. Together, aprons of fig leaves to clothe themselves, to cover themselves. And it still didn't hide them, hide their shame because they were still hiding from God. They hid themselves amongst the trees of the garden. And God came along and he said, Adam, where art thou? He says, I was afraid and I hid myself. He said, He replied to him, I told you that thou wast naked. Hast thou eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And Adam said, The woman that thou gavest. Placing the blame on someone else for a condition. Then the woman says, The devil made me do it, right? And then God started in with the devil. He said to the serpent, He, he started at the bottom. He started where the cause was. Then, then he came back to the woman, and then he came back to Adam. So he reversed the trend. Started with Adam, and he ended with Adam. Started with Adam, and Adam made an excuse, and he went to the woman. Woman made an excuse, and went to the devil. So God starts with the serpent, and he said, to him what his curse would be. And then he said to the woman what her curse would be. Then he come back to came back to Adam and said what his curse would be. You see, God is very wise, isn't he? He knows how to deal with all situations. He's big, as Brother Nichols read in his poem. He knows all about it. He's bigger than we think in wisdom and might and power and everything. And I want you to notice uh, this last verse. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. David David desired to give praise to the Lord forever. Sometimes we fail to, uh, to thank God for answered prayer and then give him praise. But he's due all of our praises. I want you to look in the next psalm. We won't get very far, but we'll pick up where we leave off in this psalm because it's a very lengthy psalm. This is a psalm of deliverance, Psalm 31. And uh, we find that David's confidence is in the Lord in verses 1 through 8, and that it's divided into five sections. Verses 1 through 8 is David's confidence in the Lord. Verses 9 through 13 is David's misery. Verses 14 through 18 is David's renew- David renews his prayer and his allegiance to the Lord. And verses 19 through 22, David prays God for the future blessings. And then verses 23 and 24, David admonishes others to love the Lord. You know, when we get a blessing, we ought to give it to someone else too, shouldn't we? And so. Uh, David's confidence in the Lord in in verses 1 through 8. Let's notice this confidence. He says, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. The first thing is faith is the foundation of prayer. Faith is the foundation. He says, Trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. So the very first thing that David uh, wanted to do was to retain his honor as a man of God. And he turned to God and he said he trusted God. He didn't want to be ashamed. He honored God. And he says, Deliver me in thy righteousness. The Bible says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. In Romans 10, verse 11. And then David wanted quick deliverance in verse 2. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily, for thou art my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. He wanted quick deliverance, didn't he? Isn't that the kind most of us want? Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. Have you ever noticed how uh, when we come to God, we want to present our prayer, but we don't have the patience to wait for the answer. <laughs> David came to God and he said, Deliver me. I need deliverance, but I want it quick. Deliver me speedily. And he knew God was his rock, strong rock. He knew is a house of defense. In verse 3 he says, For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. He prayed for God to lead him and to guide him. If God is like, a, he says in another place, he's the rock of our salvation. And he prayed for leadership and guidance from the Lord. And he says, for thy name's sake. And God will do it all for his name's sake because he's, he joys in doing that. In verse 4, he says, pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. Out of the net. Take me out of the traps that people have. Uh, take me out of Satan's snares as well. Out of the net that they have. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. In verse 5 he says, Into thy hand I commit my spirit, thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Here's uh, the precious possession of the ones uh, that belong to the Lord. We're redeemed and we have uh, the Lord to commit our spirit unto. Remember these are the words of Jesus, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In verse 6 he says, I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord." He showed us that he hates lying vanities. How many of us hate lying vanities? In verse 7, it says, I will be glad and rejoice uh, in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. He thanked the Lord for considering him in time of trouble. And then in verse 8, For the liberty, thou hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. God gives you freedom. Have you ever thought about the fact that God not only delivers you, and he delivers you out of your troubles, but he gives you liberty as well. The Bible says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You find that a lot of people uh, claim to have been delivered by the grace of God, and they're still entangled with a yoke of bondage, of legalism. We have people laying a trip on them all the time saying, Well, now you've got to do this and you've got to do that. You don't got to do nothing. Pardon the English. You have to. You, you simply trust the grace of God, and He extends His grace to you. And there's a lot of things we should do, and we ought to do, and we will do by the grace of God. But as far as making it a legal matter, in order to be saved or in order to meet certain conditions, you you just lay down rules and regulations. They just got so many rules. The legalists do. They have rules about wire rim glasses. They have rules about pants for uh, slacks that women wear, and they have. Uh, rules about all kinds of clothing and about people's hair and whether they ought to cut it or dye it or, or go other ways. And all these things. Well, there are certain things that are indicated in the Bible, but uh, they're a matter of custom. Many of them are. And some of the things are, are making legal rules and regulations that have to be considered in the light of all the Scripture, that people fail to study the whole thing and get the real answers. You know, you have to get the final answer from Scripture. Paul comes, says, I have concluded, you know. There's times that Paul comes to a conclusion that a man is saved by grace and not by the works of the law. He came to a conclusion. He says, I've concluded. And in spite of all this uh, stuff about uh, law and about legalism, he says, I've concluded that a man is saved by grace. And at some time, as Christians, you ought to come to the, some conclusions and convictions as to what you believe. And uh, I hope you're growing in that direction. And I believe that one way you grow in that direction is hearing the Bible preached and taught and reading it for yourself and studying it for yourself. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The more you study the Bible, the more you'll realize that uh, some of these things that people quibble over are not worth the time. I've heard people talk about modernistic ballpoint pens. You know. Now isn't that getting a little bit ridiculous? Remember, they used to use the old feather and the quill, and then later on, all kinds of you know things do advance as you go along life, and you might want to use a more modern one. But anyway, they they make an issue out of things that do not matter. That do not matter. So we find that David, he said, uh, in verse eight, has. And hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. You've given me plenty of room. You've given me plenty of freedom. I'm not bound in. I'm not shut in. I'm not tied up. Then in verse 9, he says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eyes is consumed with grief, yea, my, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, verse 10, and my years... With sighing, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. Here David had grief of both body and soul. Sometimes our grief reaches deeper than just the outward and the physical. We have physical suffering. We have sicknesses. We have uh, our bodies racked, uh, racked with pain. And yet we have spiritual maladies too, do we not? So it's body and soul. In fact, that accounts for some of the things that happen in this life maybe some of the tragedy we just heard about today. where this man committed suicide. You know, we don't know why people do things like they do, but it's evidently a grief of, of more than body. And sometimes it's a combination of both. But we don't know. But the thing about it is, we need to to realize that people do have these kind of problems. David had grief of both soul and body. Now, verse 11 says, I was reproached among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and feared uh, fear to mine acquaintance, they, did, they that did see me w- without fled from me, deserted by his friends, and even his acquaintance. I was reproached among all mine enemies. You ever been deserted by friends? Remember, let me read a verse of Scripture for you in John chapter 6. And verse uh, 66, it says, um, From that time, many of his disciples, this is the disciples of Jesus, went back and walked no more with him. Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That's John chapter 6, verse 66. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. Now, see, many of the disciples, these were all the followers, the multitudes of followers that he had, or the many that he had. And then he said to the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You know, if we were to go anywhere, where would we go? As Christians, as God's children. But the disciples, many of them, walked no more with him. They turned away from him. him. And you and I are going to find that there are times that people will turn away and walk no more with you, especially if you're going to walk with God. Uh, Enoch walked with God and was not found, for God took him. Evidently, Enoch was a unique character, and he walked with God, and God took him on to heaven without dying. But it doesn't show that Enoch had very many companions walking along with him, because he lived in a wicked an adulterous generation and period of time. And God was about to destroy the earth with the flood, right? So we find that at that time, Enoch walked with God. He did the ordinary things. He lived a a good Christian life. He lived a good family life because it says he bare sons and daughters. They had a family. He was no different from the rest of us. He wasn't a special uh, angelic type of person. He was a human being, but he walked with God. He separated himself into God. Have you ever heard people use the excuse this day and hour? They say, well, I'd live for God, but you know the world's so wicked. Never mind the world. It's not the world that's living for God. It's you. Never mind them. They're living like they want to. But it's you that's living for God. And Enoch walked with God in the most wicked time that there was upon the face of this earth. And so don't use someone else as your excuse for not living for God. Because you're responsible to live for God. And you can do that. You may do that. You can do that. For the grace of God. It's up to you, though, to make the decision. You can't dilly-dally with the world and expect to live with, for God. I started to get a sermon this week, and I just almost was uh, tempted to preach it, but I didn't get it together. For this Sunday on border, borderland Christians, remember they said, bring us not over this Jordan. In other words, they got to the brink of Jordan and said, now we don't want to go over there. That's like a lot of Christians. They don't want to completely go over into Canaan. Jordan's a picture of death itself. And they, well, you know, we just got to hold on to, the, to this uh, well-watered plain on the other side, on the wilderness side. We just cannot see ourselves to go over into, across the Jordan. Borderland Christians. And we have a lot of people that want to hold on to the world and, all, and the Lord at the same night. It's a pretty hard stretch, you know it. First thing you know, you're just going to keep stretching out. You've seen this old guy on television and stretching his arms out. Some commercial, I think it is, where he stretched his budget a little too far, and finally he stretched to all to pieces. That may be a lesson for us too. Well, anyway, our time's about gone. Where are we? We're down in verse. Uh, we're down in verse uh, uh, eleven. We'll pick up with verse twelve and get. Get uh, the rest of this uh, 31st chapter and probably get into 32nd if we have time in our next lesson. This Wednesday night, and we thank you for your patience and your kind attention. Let's stand and, and we'll be dismissed in prayer.